job with it. Well done, my friend. You know we're cutting that out, right? That's we're- fucked up. <laughs> I thought that was actually pretty smooth. No, it was, except we have a whole little, you know, intro music already. So if I play the intro music and then that doesn't really doesn't mix well. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Nothing? I think I'm the one supposed to start it. Is that, a, is that a false start? Is that no, it's a false start. Just go ahead, man. Start the goddamn show. It's the Q&A show. It's the customer appreciation son of a bitch. Let's go. I thought you already. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the customer appreciation Q&A. Episode. Oh, I was at the customer. Wishful thinking. Listener. Appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't sold nothing yet. Yet, uh, but we will one day. I'm sure it's yeah. coming. How do you guys feel about uh, coasters? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the higher standard coaster, cold plunges. How do you guys, you guys like those? Let us know. Yeah, the problem is that we can't start off selling something that's like eight grand. Yeah, <laughs> like, why not? Yeah, I know you guys support us for a couple of years just emotionally. Yeah, but now we need you to financially support us by buying this ten thousand dollar thing. Yeah, and then we're also at. At the same time, launching our buy now, pay later service. Yeah. BNPL, baby. Yeah. Sponsored by THS. There you go. Yeah. It's just <laughs> letters. Well, welcome back to the number one financial literacy podcast in the world. Welcome back to the show, everybody. That is Saeed Omar, a.k.a. Coffee. That is Chris Naribi. Sure. Why yeah. not? What do you mean? Why not? That's how you said it's pronounced. And behind the glass wall is the one and only... Arun. Come on, DJ. DJ Harun. There you go. What's up, Arun? Not much. That's kind of weak. You gave a you gave like a pretty cool nickname for Saeed, Cough, and me. What was that? He was Coffee and you were DJ Harun. Oh, Coffee. Arun. I thought you were saying Coffee. Yeah, but you didn't even call me DJ Harun. Say it. Yeah, I it. did. No. You're slacking, bro. I need I oh, need some need energy, bro. Up, Come uh, on. Okay, first of all, oh, just, should I stop just, this episode? Let's do it again. Yeah, no, we're not doing that again. We're going we're gonna to roll with this. Okay. And um, the proper vernacular for the age demographic of our audience is lacking. Yes. Not slacking. Slacking is what, you know, a geriatric person who poops six times a day would say. No. Slacking is are the millennials that were quietly quitting. Yeah. Now we're lacking. We're lacking? You're lacking. Okay. Well, somebody's lacking. Yeah. Lock it up. <laughs> <laughs> so if you follow any of us on social media... Uh, and by any of us, I mean Saeed and I, because Arun totally ignores social media pretty much 90% of the time. No, he just reposts. Occasionally. He posts our stuff, yeah. yeah. When it when it fits within his marketing schedule. <laughs> so, yeah. so, I have a newborn, you fucking dick. No, I, I get it. I'm He's just, got two under two, man. Two under two, baby. But I would also argue that you're on social media a lot and not reposting. No, he reposts everything that we tag him on. Yeah, I know. Three hours later. Yeah, he's got a stagger, man. Yeah, yeah, I get it. It's fine. I'm trying really hard to defend him. I know you are. (laughs) This is the same guy who you got mad at because in the group chat, he just won't respond. Dude, he doesn't respond. That means I have to respond double. Yeah, I know. Because if if nobody responds to you, then it's like, uh uh-oh. Y'all going to catch a case. Chris going to be hangry. I'm going to come in here hot. Yeah. And speaking of coming in here hot, we posted a Q&A session figuring let's just see uh, how many fish we catch with this little bait. And uh, we got a lot of fish. You got some fish? Yeah, we got some fish. So uh, we're going to go through the the questions and answer them as honestly as we can uh, without being too sexually explicit. Some of them do uh, require some 
cautious descriptions. Oh, really? Yeah, they do. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about those as as uh, as they come up. But uh, care to kick us off in the Q and A section here? Let's... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, we had a plan, man. Oh, we did. You, you, man. I was waiting for your butt first. Yeah, butt first. Yeah, we told you what the plan was. Oh, this guy's knocked out. It's customer appreciation. We got to get into these reviews first. You mean listener appreciation? No, future customer appreciation. Oh, okay, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Let's get into it right now. So first, this from. Uh, let's see what we got here. What was the first one? We got newbie WSB. Credit where credit is due. Five stars. Mm, okay, we're starting off good. Yeah, honest, clearly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, nobody's lying. Not a four-star review. No one's lacking. <laughs> no. Learn something new every podcast. You see, take a time to mention. That's all is needed. You don't need some long-winded review. If you believe the show is five stars, just go over to Apple or Spotify and just say that. Oh, you weren't pausing? That's it? That's it. Oh, okay. Good. I like it. It all counts the same. Sold. Mm-hmm. Say less. Say less. Without saying less. There you go. Next one. One of my all-time favorites. Mm. You look so happy right now. You know why? Mm. Because basketball. Oh, Jesus Christ, this one. All right, let's was, go. Was not useless information. I know you feel that way. It go earned ahead. us a five-star. It did, yeah. This from Jay Lopez, Derek Fisher, 0. 0.4. Chris, what does that mean? Um, It's a fraction represented <laughs> as a... Numeral? Oh, dude, you want to care to help him out? Oh, he knows, man. He's playing stupid. I don't. Zero point four or point zero four? I have no idea. Zero point four. Derek Fisher once hit a game winner against the Spurs in the playoffs with zero point four seconds left on the clock. It was like, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, big time shot. Never mind. So here we go. All right, guys. I had. Why the fuck do you know that? What do you, bro? I ran out onto the streets with my boxers on because I was so excited. You're not a boxer guy. (laughs) Back then, I was. Yeah. Yeah, not anymore. I know what you are. Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> what am I now? Bro, I don't see any boxer lines going on over here. Tidy whities All I baby. see is groins. <laughs> tidy whities Groins. Plural. I'll never become a tidy whitey guy. You're that guy. I don't understand that. So what are you wearing tonight? What do you mean? Boxer briefs all day. Come on now. Like what boxer briefs or like like what are we talking about here? Yeah, boxer briefs that are like compression shorts. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Me too. Yeah, of course. Groin's definitely not wearing those. Right. Odin's commando, baby. Yeah, he's commando. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Come on now. You like that floppy thing going on in there? Like, all that's yeah. respect. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to help. I mean, out. it flops. Yeah, I mean, your thighs hit like that. <laughs> There's the energy. There it is. My, my, dude, energy my thighs hit. I'm sure it's do too. No, your thighs just rub. It's like friction. Yeah, I, I, honestly, that's why I had to get laser hair removal on my legs because my actual inside of my like legs rub together so much, there's no hair there. Uh causing all kinds of problems. Yeah, you yeah. know, I'm so buff. Clearly, quads, baby. Quads, groins. All right, guys. I had to start with our Laker reference because that is one of the things I like about this podcast. You guys are SoCal guys. I was washing dishes and had you guys on. My wife asked, what are you listening to? Because I was laughing. I said, it's a financial literacy podcast. <laughs> and she was like, get the fuck out of here. She looked the- at me and said, really? I'd take a pause and say, shout out to all the husbands out there doing dishes. Yeah, while listening to OnlyFans and calling it a financial literacy podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? I do all the dishes at my house. Oh, yeah? So, <laughs> <coughs> you've, been, <coughs> you've been trying to get me to cough, man. You piece of shit. All right. 
Mission accomplished. Seriously. Seriously, I like how you guys talk and banter. You keep it fun and entertaining, and I get to learn about what's going on in finance. I don't listen to any other financial podcasts because I presume they're dull and boring. He's right. You presume you presume correct, sir. They are mostly complete shit. I can tell you one right now that's very dull and boring, but Chris might lose that account, so I'm going to keep it to myself. <laughs> I, I am a dedicated MP, Mind Pump listener, and heard about you guys last year from Adam. Got to give him a shout out. I mean, I, he, he left out Sexy Adam. Yeah, we, we refer to him as Sexy Adam. I was actually speaking to Sexy Adam before... I came to the studio tonight, mm -hmm. and uh, we exchanged some messages. So yeah, I wanted to let him know that he's still sexy and that uh, he's still my Adam. So right, uh, shout out to all the mind pump guys, actually. So uh, please, please continue with the podcast. We will. I hope you enjoy doing it as much as I enjoy listening. Shout out to Arun, Sed, and Chris. So little point of point of note here: Said is a little salty. You spelled his name wrong. And I know that you did it as a subtle sign of disrespect. <laughs> so if you I, did, if you, you did, spell the ruse name right, yeah, you went out of your way to find out how to spell that. Because you know, you, you, know, you went, he didn't just know that; you, he had to search that. And he tried to ignore that. We say Saeed. Yeah. <laughs> right. But if you did do it as a sign of disrespect, I respect it. Yeah. Good job. Uh, thanks, guys. I don't know if it's George or Jorge. From Glendale. Glendale! Yeah. Glendale in the house. Glendale. Love, I love going to Glendale. It's been a long time for me. I haven't been there in a while either. It's been a long time. I've been that, Glendale adjacent. That's where the uh, Americana is, right? I have no idea. No? No. I think, I think that's where it is. I just type it in the maps and drive the directions. I don't really look at the cities. Got it. Anyway, is that it? We got more? Or is that we tapped out? I think that's it. All right. Mm -hmm. Shall we jump into some... Oh, no, there's one more. I'm oh, sorry. right in the middle of the transition. <coughs> yeah, this is a big one. This is a good one. This is from Jess File. Favorite podcast. Five stars. Mm. Listening to this show helps keep my brain sharp in the finance world while serving in my stay-at-home mom role. And, oh, I like this one. Yeah. Yeah, this is good. And also assists in teaching my three-year-old new words when I listen to it while driving her around. Yeah, and I heard that part, and I was like, ugh, cringe. But then I'm like, my four-year-old listens to it, so... Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> my seven- and five-year-old listen to it. Uh, thanks, guys. P.S. Mind Pump used to be my number one, but you guys bumped them out. Ooh, that's tough. That's a toughie. Yeah, sorry. I yo. feel like it's not because Mind Pump isn't as exhilarating as it always was. Right. It's just because they put out a lot of content, and it can become overwhelming for you to keep up at times and sometimes you want to hear what fat guys sound like so we give you that yeah yeah we we give I you give them that no we uh oh, you're not you're not in the fat don't, guy don't camp try anymore. to own that no you've lost like t over 20 pounds i haven't lost a single fucking ounce honestly you know what we, you know what we start doing he's not even trying you what? know what we should start doing what which is every week we come in and say he lost another five pounds so that whenever we do post them on social media like wait what the fuck after 40 <laughs> after 40 weeks you're gonna be like wait yeah. wait he I lost thought, 200 pounds yeah <laughs> people just disappoint like how fat was this guy? <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, let's get into the questions. You have your uh, you have your wheel roller thing out there, right? The scooter bike thing that you rolled in on. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, it's being charging. Yeah, he's, uh, you know he, that's how big he is. Okay, he's gonna be two hundred pounds. Two hundred pounds from now. I say we start off with one that uh, has to do with the last episode that we dropped. Just get out the way right now. Mm. Um. Any thoughts on the Fed pausing interest rates while saying more hikes are ahead? 
This from one oh, arms one. Yeah, it's clearly posturing. Uh, they, ooh, I shudder to tell a story, and I'm going to try to do this without naming names. Um, Saeed knows this. I told him off the air. Uh, a close friend of mine who was a billionaire uh, had a one-on-one conversation with Mr. Powell, and this was, in fact, exactly what he told him was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Was He said that uh, they were going to keep the rhetoric uh, strongly worded, that they were going to hold rates for longer that they were going to provide a, um, an SCP, Summary of Economic Projections, that showed that the majority of the Fed governors favored a 25 basis point increase, but that he felt that it was highly improbable at best that that would ever actually happen. They were just being cautiously data-driven. But it's clear that the Fed wants to continue to weave this rhetoric into the fabric of the economy, and I think that's a little bit misguided. I don't believe that behavioral economics are what stop people from spending. I believe that it just takes a long time for lagging, lagging indicators after 14 years of artificial interest rate deflation, unprecedented stimulus, PPP. Um, uh, what was the other one again? Uh, the uh, with the stimulus, stimulus, yeah, stimulus, all that stuff. Uh-huh. PPP loans, all that shit. That um, it's just gonna take longer for these things to, to really matter. There's also the child tax credits and all that. Yeah, you don't you don't need the Fed to scare people, but unfortunately, I think that they think that they have more power than they do. And if you listen to the last episode, you know that we've said that their prediction rate is not exactly what I would call accurate anyway. And I also think that the cost-benefit analysis of him coming out and sounding more optimistic that we've now reached that that point in the cycle, it it, it doesn't really do anything for them, right? It, it almost bodes them well if they continue that hawkish tone of we're not we're not out the woods yet. Yeah, you can't go good cop bad cop and then bad cop bad cop. You got to you got to keep it level. Right. And he's the bad cop. For the same reason why they can't pause uh pause interest rates, cut interest rates and then spike it back up again. It's got to be a natural progression, right? Mm-hmm. So if he's been hawkish this whole time, he's going to have to keep it until he really he and, and all the rest of the FOMC members feel like they're completely out the woods. Which is going to be a long time, kids. Yeah. Buckle up. Strap in. All right. Uh, question number two: Financial tips for a younger generation: investing, saving, spending. Tips that helped you. Mm. This from Isabel. Hi, Isabel. Uh, let's see. I started. One of the first things I did when I was younger was I had a four hundred one k that I started, but I didn't understand it. Uh, I started a regular investment account uh, at Fidelity which was my 401k holder at the time. And I just opened, it was like a normal trading account. And I just opened it up and I set my automatic withdrawal to be a hundred bucks at the time. I think it was a hundred dollars a month, $50 a paycheck to go into that account on top of my 401k. Mm-hmm. And it was just an automatic withdrawal draft from my, from my uh, savings account. And that's solely increased on the, on the amount per month over time. But it was dollar cost averaging before I really understood what it was. I was just trying to put more money into the account. And what I would do is from time to time, I would go into and buy different index funds. I started off with VOO, uh, Vanguard's uh, Low Cost Index 500. And uh, I, I started going into index funds because I didn't think that I knew the market well enough to really buy anything and that I wasn't really that sophisticated. So low cost index funds were an easy way for me to, to get into the market and start building what I thought to be a future of wealth. Uh, as I got better, I started finding uh, different funds that I liked, and then I started investing in individual stock and companies over time. But I had that small amount of money to play with that would build up over time: hundred bucks a month, hundred bucks a month, and you continue to buy. 
Uh, that was a great one for me. The other thing was, is I rented until such time as I could afford to put down enough money to pay principal interest tax and insurance on a property that was equal to or lower than my rental amount. And I've been in that property uh, ever since. Um, yeah, that's basically it. And then there's no shame in, in working at a normal W-2 job. Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, an influence entertainer. Uh, but the reality is, is that uh, a steady income when you're young and learning to be a little more disciplined and learning a, a career or profession is not a bad thing. So stay with the company, uh, be there, learn the job. And when you're ready to move on, that's also a fair option. But you've probably learned a lot about discipline and corporate structure that could help you scale your own company one day. Right. Uh, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, when I entered into the whole uh, banking sector myself, um, I, nev I never thought that this is where we would be today and where I'm trying to help grow something at the something bigger. Um, and at the time my wife and I were newly married and what I told her is, look, we're going to work hard. We're going to continue to both grow in our careers. And something that I just want to focus on is let's not take any missteps, right? If we can, if we can successfully not take a misstep financially, we'll, we'll get ourselves over to that next level and one of the key things that um, I remember reading back then that always kind of stuck with me is when you uh, increase your income, try not to increase your lifestyle right away at first. Yeah. Right? That's something that always stuck with me. And I know it's one of those uh, cliche um, quotes that you may hear, but it, it made a lot of sense. And, um, you know, you can increase the investing that you do, putting away for your future, the more you can plan for your future and focus on the long-term goals, I think it'll be better for you long-term. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right. Let's go. Number two. <coughs> Excuse me. This guy, let's get right into this because I know we wanted to cut this one up a little bit. We referenced it a lot on the last episode. A lot of mentions about 10-year yield. Mm. What is that? <coughs> Excuse me, man. I'm so sorry. Yeah, man. You're, you're How so does it correlate? With other stuff. Okay. Over there. <coughs> God damn it. Did the question have cops in it too? Or it did. Just it your did. Own, that was your own addition. That's what it was, yeah. So I've got a structured way that I wanted to answer this because so many people had asked different questions that relate to it that I thought that there was um, a little bit of benefit in um, in kind of explaining this in a more methodical pa uh, path. So I, I wrote it down a little bit here. Okay. Um, so let's think about so the question was really about the 10-year, but there's a 10-year, and then there is also the bond market, okay? Mm -hmm. um, mortgage rates, believe it or not, are not actually influenced or based on by the 10-year treasury. Uh, it's commonly believed that, that there's a connection there. But really, fixed mortgage rates and treasury yields typically just move together, right? Um, so the 10-year is typically looked at as, as a solid indicator for mortgage backs uh, and mortgage, the mortgage market in general. But the reason why this is important is the underlying bond market and what that really means. And there was a number of questions in the Q&A about bonds. So uh, the, the easiest way to answer, I think, the bond market is, is that the bond market is very similar but yet very different uh, to <laughs> – Arun pulled up chat GPT in <laughs> the answer here. Uh, they're very different uh, in some ways, but they typically are competing markets. Uh, the stock market has risks that the bond market doesn't have. Uh, generally speaking, the bond market is considered safer and the stock market is considered riskier, for example. But they're usually competing marketplaces. You don't necessarily go into one 
unless there's stress in one or the other. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So fixed income markets influence both the stock market since the bond markets compete for investment dollars with the stock market and the overall economy. So it's important to understand the bond market even if you have no intention of ever owning bonds because the influence works both ways. So uh, unlike the stock market where you trade stock on a global exchange, you typically don't buy bonds that way. You usually buy the bonds directly through whoever issues the bonds, which are really just debt instruments. You're buying debt. Mm-hmm. You're buying somebody, you're giving people somebody money for a debt holder place. Think of it as like a government loan. Not always governments though. Yeah, you, but- can, you can have, there's tons of different things, but it's basically a primary market and then there's a secondary market. So the primary market is basically the new issue of bonds, bonds that have just been issued by a corporation, by a municipality, by a government agency, whoever may issue them. Right. Right. And the secondary market is like usually a broker or somebody trading them after they've been newly issued, mm-hmm. right? But there isn't like a New York Stock Exchange for the bond market, for example. Right. So it's not quite the same ease of access that most people would get to. And I think that, that intimidates a lot of people. So uh, some quick highlights, and I wrote, again, wrote, wrote some of this stuff down to be somewhat thoughtful and consistent. Government bonds are probably the ones that most people think about. The U.S. Treasuries. Again, the 10-year is a great U.S. Treasury. Because right? it's, all, it's viewed as a safe, the safest investment. Typically viewed as the safest investment because the U.S. is so strong. They're considered the, quote, safest bonds in the world since they are backed by the U.S. government. In fact, treasuries are considered so secure that their yields are used to determine the risk-free rate, mm-hmm. right? What are, you, what are you getting paid on a risk-free asset? Because this treasury, backed by the United States, has almost no risk in it. Make sense? Right. There's also municipal bonds, municipalities. Think um, uh, government agencies, government infrastructure, stuff like that, uh, cities, They'll typically use these to issue debt to then use your money and build things, buildings, infrastructure, stuff like that. Uh, they're typically considered very, very safe, not as safe as government bonds. The last one that uh, really had a significant presence, I think uh, Puerto Rico in 2017, if I recall correctly, they had a pretty big default on their municipal bonds. It was around 70, 75 billion, if I recall correctly. Next is the mortgage-backed market. And this is really the tie because mortgage-backed securities are, are really mortgage bonds Mm -hmm. so the fallout in the great recession the mortgage-backed security market was actually the mortgage bond market falling out these are considered uh a little bit different risk profile but basically to explain this and again i wrote this down the financial crisis notwithstanding the mortgage bonds have historically been the safe a very safe investment they can be an opportunity for bond investors looking for high yield income interest rates for 30-year fixed mortgages hover around seven percent in late 2022 and they've now gone up to about 8% in this market so far today. So there's, there's been an increase in what those will pay you. Yeah, the highest in 16 or 17 years. All right. So without any further ado, the bottom line is there's very difference, very different. But a bond is a debt instrument. They're considered safer. Now, what do we know about safe investments? Safe investments pay you less typically than a riskier investment, right? Mm-hmm. Shorter investments typically pay you less than a longer investment. Mm-hmm. So if you're going into a longer bond, it should pay you more than a shorter-term bond. But that's not what's happening right now. That's the yield curve inversion. Right. The 10-year is paying you less than the two-year treasuries, all safe, risk-free investments. So it, it's a very different kind of perspective than I think the most people who get into the stock market. And I think it can be confusing for some. But that is what it is. So the tre- 10-year treasury bonds, and then I, I promise I'll wrap this up. I know it's a long answer, but a lot of people ask about this. The importance of the 10-year treasury bond on yield goes beyond just understanding the return on the investment. Okay, the return on the investment is only one way of looking at it. You really have to look at the underlying safety. It's kind of a proxy for how safe 
the underlying markets are, which is why the 10-year movements that we've been talking about to the degree that they've been moving recently up are so concerning. It's scary because all the treasuries are rising and the inversion is still happening. So at some point, either the floor drops out on the low end of the curve, the two-year, three-month, three and the three-year treasuries drop down and the 10-year stays where it's at, or the 10-year spikes up. If the 10-year spikes up, that puts tremendous upside pressure on mortgage rates. And when that happens, mortgage rates will go up. Not because they're linked, but because of long-term implications. So this can effectively push the price up of U.S. government bonds as demand increases, thus lowering yields. More people willing to buy, yields go down. Right, and the yield is just the return on your investment, right? Right, so more people competing for these really ultra-safe investments means they can pay you less because they can go to somebody else who will take the investment. Right. Think about it as supply and demand, right? When, yeah, when yields go up, the values of the bonds go down. Yeah, exactly. So another factor related to the yield is the timing to maturity. Longer treasury bonds, again, like I noted, typically pay more. So we'll wrap this up with um, the, the tie together. So this one's a little bit harder to explain, but uh, so... The treasury note often serves as kind of a signal about the market's expectation for future growth. Yes. Which is why you're seeing some really strange things in the market right now. We've talked so much about it. So the fact that it has recently increased is reflective of economic growth, but also parallels the fact that inflation is also at an all-time recent high now. Yes. Okay. So because the treasury notes are so commonly traded, their interest rate also serves as a signal about the market's expectations for future growth. Exactly. And what, what that means to me um, is, okay, when, when I, the way I look at these, these bonds and treasury markets, right, I literally look at it as an expectation of what the market or people think is to come. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, if the two-year and the three-year, basically a loan for a company or the government two years from now, right, is significantly higher than what it would be if I gave them a 10-year loan, right? Then there's a lot of uncertainty what can happen in the near future, right? When it should be the other way around, as you alluded to earlier, right? Right. So what I had here to, to cap the thought is, is when markets expect the economy to grow, forecasts for treasury notes will reflect that in higher interest rate, right? So in fact, one harbinger of a recession is, again, the inverted yield curve. When the return on a three-month or two-year treasury bill is higher than that of the 10-year rate, well, this doesn't always lead to a recession. It certainly signals, signals pessimism from the financial markets. And again, we've been in an inverted yield curve for the longest period since 1981. Yep. So because of that, that is inherently, by definition, pessimism in the markets and typically, again, signals a recession, and yet we've been in one for the longest period of time that, that in modern history. Right. And the... Uh, the other way I look at the 10-year uh, treasury being tied to mortgage rates, even though it's not, right, is if, as you mentioned earlier, <coughs> excuse me, um, a, a loan to the government, if it's a government bond, is considered the safest investment. Right. Right? If that's considered a safe investment, then a loan to an individual, by pure happenstance, would have to be a little bit riskier. So if the 10-year is at 4.4%, right, mm -hmm. and that continues to creep up, that means the risk to a loan to the government is slowly creeping up. Therefore, a risk to you, the individual, buying a home would have to slowly creep up. So to 
to now kind of put this as simple as possible, because we know the basics, we know that mortgage-backed securities are a type of bond, right? We know that treasury yields are the safest type of bond. Treasury yields in mortgage-backed securities, again, outside of the last or the Great Recession, which have been very safe, they typically compete for the same investors, right? One is slightly safer than the other historically, at least until the Great Recession, meaning that the corporate and municipal bonds, generally the treasuries, are safer than the mortgage-backed securities. So the fixed rate, the fixed mortgage rates and the treasury yields generally move together. Why? Because as a fixed rate asset, mortgage-backed securities are in direct competition with treasury instrument for investor money, right? If the treasuries, because the pessimism in the market creeps up and treasuries begin to pay more, what happens? You can now charge more for your mortgage-backed security prices because they're trying to compete for one another. So as more pessimism creeps up, that 10-year creeps up, that 10-year pricing creeps up, and now mortgage-backed securities can pay higher yields mm -hmm. because they're competing for the same investors. So even though the numbers aren't directly aligned, you'll see this consistent push-up of both of these together as pessimism arrives and they compete for the same type of people looking for the same type of returns. Right. And that's what typically puts pressure on the mortgage because the mortgage-backed securities where all these mortgages are then sold off into the secondary market. So let's put this real simply. If you say go get a home loan today at 7%, seven right? Seven and a half, yeah. Seven and a half, whatever. And that's sold into a mortgage-backed security. It's securitized in the secondary market. Basically, you sell that off into a trust. The trust then securitizes it or you securitize it directly. It's sold as a security on Wall Street as a bond. Yes. If that bond pays... 8%, but the tenure treasuries are lower than that, you've got a really good return. People are going to go buy that. Yes. Right? If the treasuries are paying 8%, but your bond rate is only 7% right. on and yours. But the tenure treasury continues to increase. Right. As the tenure treasury continues to increase, I'm going to take the safer U.S. treasury bond that pays more than I'm going to take of the mortgage-backed security. Mm-hmm. So these mortgage-backed securities have to compete with that, and they put upward pressure on mortgage rates because if I'm going to take your loans and sell them into this market, I've got to compete with where the treasuries are at. If the treasuries are a better return and they're safer, even though we're talking about shades of, of, of safe because they're all relatively safe investments, and that's what ultimately pushes it up. It's basically supply and demand playing out on a very, very broad like, spectrum, yeah. but it's competing with the safeness of a U.S.-backed treasury return, which is eking higher. You also just screwed over every reel we could have made for that whole thing because your hand was right in front of your face. I feel like that's the most attractive I've ever been. <laughs> so the one last thing that I want to say, because I know this has become long-winded, um, is... You're long-winded, bitch. Yeah. We're 30 minutes in, you've answered two questions. Yeah. So um, the, the two-year and the three-year treasury... Um, the pricing on those, the yields on those really signifies what people believe, um, it, whether they believe or not Jerome Powell, what he's saying at those post-game press conferences. Right. So when the dot plots come out and they say we're going to hold for longer, right? But if the two-year and the three-year treasuries, right, the yields on those, if they don't go up, that's how we know that the market isn't buying their shit, mm. right? Because if they did then that would creep up. Yes. But because it, it, it wouldn't get impacted, that's how we know we could say the market's not buying what Jerome Powell is saying. Because if it did, everyone would react. Yes. Now, while you're looking for the next question, I'll say 
a lot of really, really popular economists are really frustrated by this because they're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. From our perspective, you know that the Fed's tightening cycle has stopped. Now they're going to hold rates. This should be good news. So Treasury should be coming down on optimistic thoughts, not negative thoughts. So the perspective is one based on what you're doing at that point in time, where you are in the financial ecosystem. So, yeah. Next question. All right, let's go to a fun one. How do you know when Chris is joking? All the time. Easy. Every time. Very easy. Yeah. His hairline continues to recede. He lets out gas. First of all, it's a very expensive joke. I've had a $26,000 hair transplant. Okay. Yeah. <coughs> you, you suck that cough. Uh, second of all, pretty much everything I say is a joke. Uh, all the time. Yeah. Even when it's not. Yeah. It is. But uh, if you took it seriously, then um, it's still a joke. So there you go. He's a master at it. So he floats it. And then if you take it the wrong way, I was joking. Well, why'd you take it seriously? Yeah. That's why, what he, so, so you don't have the same dry humor as me. I get yeah, it. That's why he jokes all the time. So he can always use that as a, I know what you do, bro. Cerebellum. Next question. Yeah, exactly. Uh, here we go. The world wants to know how many houses Christopher owns. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, well, technically, we talk about doors or houses? <laughs> However you want to answer. All right. On my credit report, currently, there are... <laughs> Why are you joking while I'm saying this? <laughs> I want to see if you're going to lie. No, there's seven on my credit report. Um which Saeed likes to aggregate all the square footage together. To yeah, see. that's why Chris lives in a much bigger house yeah, than me. Not true. <laughs> and there are 33 total doors. 33 total yeah. doors. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's eh, okay. I mean, the um, I, I've got a seven in eight, seven or eight properties in Oklahoma City. How long ago did you know, like, this is the game I want to get in? Was it before your, your career in banking? Did it really develop after as an underwriter? Is that what really opened your eyes to it? Or were you privy to it because your dad was a broker? Mm. No, I, I thought, um, keep in mind, like when I grew up, like my dad had lived through so many recessionary economies that, that I was kind of losing faith in the real estate business because my father had really been a believer in leverage, like a traditional real estate guy. And my father. What does that mean? What does that mean to the average person that doesn't know what that means? So a lot of real, and then you see this a lot right now. A lot of real estate guys will, they'll never keep any cash liquidity around. They're always liquidity, you know, poor and real estate rich. So they buy all these properties. Then they'll take the maximum cash out they can to go buy more properties. And they'll try to continue to keep the leverage as high as possible so they can scale their, their portfolio. That game relies on the appreciating value of your properties. And just in case, um, when he's talking about leverage, he means the loans against the properties. Yeah, people will take out the highest possible loan amount they can against the properties so they can go buy more more real estate, you know, and then obviously leverage those properties. And it's a game of kind of like juggling debt. And this is very common with a lot of real estate investors. But the problem was is they did that so much that during the Great Recession, a lot of people, including my father, were very, very, very impacted. And they lost a lot. My father lost essentially most of his real estate. Uh, and it became very difficult for them to cash flow. So for me, one of the things that I learned was that as I started underwriting deals, if you paid down properties over time and didn't lever them up so aggressively and focused on cash flow, not your net worth, but how much money you're making every single month, the game became a very different game. Mm -hmm. Sure, it didn't mean that I was going to become a millionaire overnight, but it meant that I could make incremental changes that were very, very low risk 
that gave me cash flow in the worst case event scenario. Mm -hmm. First property I bought paid me $400 a month. Second property I bought paid me like six or $700 a month. Might not seem a lot to someone if you're just starting out. You think, I'm going to go invest in real estate, but wait, I'm only getting paid an extra $400 a month? Well, in my early 20s, you know, the those two properties alone in the course of like two years paid me an extra $1,000 a month. In your early 20s, man, like that was that was enough. Like yeah, that was true. enough to me, for me to go, okay, that, you know, two... What if I had 10 and then, you know, you get to, you get to certain different regions and different areas in the country and you find deals that are different prices. And you, I always used to go around and every time I visited like an area, if I saw a property that I thought was cool, that I liked, that I you know, was interested in, I would always look it up, whether it was a single family residence or a commercial piece of property, I would try to figure out the value. And I realized the areas that had cheaper value. And when money was coming in, my lifestyle to your point, my not, I, my expenses never kept up with my my cash flow. I always just lived a different lifestyle. <coughs> I, got, I got married later. I had kids later. I never bought an exotic. I never bought any of that stuff. I had a Rolex. I had some high end cars. I made some dumb decisions for sure, but my cash flow always exceeded my expenses by far. Mm. So, was there was there is there ever a point? Because I know you're talking about a lot of real estate guys are tight on liquidity, mm -hmm. right? Um, and for you, you were looking more at the cash flow. Would you ever look at it as like, all right, I need to for sure cash flow this much. I'm never going to push it too far. Make it, you know, make my spread too thin. No, I just really try to focus on every property being cash flow positive. That's it. Yeah. I don't really care about the the spread as long as it's cash flow positive at market rents. And again, I don't typically rent at top of market rents and I don't, all the properties that I have in Oklahoma, for example, were built after 2003. They're all relatively new. And they all cash flow well above, I think, $500 a month now since they've had increases. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that I have a vacancy from time to time? Yeah, sure. Yeah. But keep in mind, you know, I I keep... So each one of my properties has about $2,500 per door or per per unit set aside in a reserve account for just that unit. Yeah. Right? I siphon everything off after that. If there's a repair at small or whatever for that unit or... I just bought a new uh, oven for one that had like this weird. She woke up in the middle of the night and the, the oven had glass had just shattered. What the hell? Woke her up. It was very weird. It, apparently, it's a thing that happens. But rather than give her replacement glass or give her a used oven, I just bought a new one. Right. Some landlords will get like they'll have a used one that they use from other units. I just buy a new one. But and that's, that's how you keep your tenant in. That's seven hundred bucks, but that comes out of the twenty five hundred dollar reserve. So the next month, when the when the rent comes in. That's about a two hundred dollar that month negative to me because I would have cash flow, let's say like five hundred dollars on that unit, but it also means that my reserve isn't super impacted. And you have a happy tenant. Yeah. So what I typically do in situations like that, rather than take a cash flow loss and then go money in, cash in, I'll replenish the reserve over two months. Mm -hmm. So I'm still like one hundred fifty bucks a month cash flow positive on the Smart. Thing, yeah. Got it. Okay. Cool. Appreciate the insight. Yeah. All right. Here we go. So this from our boy Vic. Vic Ramirez. Mm -hmm. A guy. Are there any accessible websites or sources with information on mortgage bonds? Uh, the Motley Fool has a good article on mortgage bonds. Uh, I like Investopedia. Believe it or not, Arun did the right thing. Uh, I really like ChatGPT for stuff like that. If you want to find out about how they work and ask like just questions, just bang them out. ChatGPT is really, really good for that. Uh, what I say is it's not so good is when you're asking a question about the current market because I think it caps out at 2021 or something. That's, yeah. But I've always had a great experience with ChatGPT. I think it's a, it's a wonderful tool to just kind of ask questions and learn from it. Yeah. Uh, and that was a great way for me to learn a lot of things about social media, for example. I asked ChatGPT. It worked really well. Yeah, exactly. All right. And then the last one for me is hearing about major companies 
centralizing to a few cities as they pull back from remote work. This is from Jessica. Uh, kind of a statement, not a question, but yeah, yeah. that's um. So the work from home thing They're is much. Thinking, as, what, why do you, why do you think that is? Maybe. Well, look, the work from home thing was great, but I think one of the problems for a lot of companies was efficiency. And then for those that didn't have efficiency problems, they thought, okay, well, if I'm paying workers in California. I'm paying workers in in Texas or Oklahoma a lot less than I'm paying for workers in California. They're doing effectively the same job. They're central to the country. They might have less time zone exposure one way or the other. So you start to think about longevity, scalability of your platforms. And you think to yourself, okay, if we can outsource stuff to foreign countries because it's cheaper labor, why can't we outsource our own work to a different state? Mm -hmm. So I think you're going to start seeing a little bit of that where you're going to see people, and California's already seen a mass exodus to that degree, right? The film industry, for example, has largely left California in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. Tech sector has largely left California in a lot of ways. So I think uh, you're going to start seeing more and more of that. And I think as that happens, people are going to start saying, look, we want you back in the office. Yeah. And they're going to have a centralized hub and they're going to try to sell you on the campus, the lifestyle, the culture, the atmosphere. Uh, but that's going to take a long time, especially given how bad the commercial office space is right now. A lot of vacancies, man. It has me really worried. It's really a lot, sad. A lot of debt you know, coming due over the next two years. That's one of those you know, big question marks, big, big alarms that are sounding right now. What's going to happen? Because they have to refinance. Like, they have to refinance. Matt Hayes and I have been exchanging some stuff uh, in the DMs. About shout out to Matt Hayes. Yeah. We don't give him enough of a shout out. Well, I mean, we spend, I spent a lot of time just like, you know, going back and forth. I've been kind of short because I'm so busy. But a lot of the stuff I've been looking at in, in all of real estate. So everybody who doesn't have like a 30-year fixed loan recently has got adjustable stuff coming due. And that is going to be really impactful. I mean, it, it's really scary. I don't want to say... Um, it's going to be damaging the economy, but there's going to be some serious strain on the economy. Explain to people why, because it's it's adjustable, right? Most of these loans are either three years, five years, seven years. You might have some 10 years, mm-hmm. right? But at the end of those initial three, five, or seven years, their the rates adjust up to market, mm-hmm. right? So those payments become out of control, so they have to refinance. So even if you got a loan 10 years ago or nine years ago, and you got a 10-year loan, Nine years ago, rates were really good, you know, relative to what they are now. And certainly over the last three or four years, rates have been spectacular. Well, the problem with that is, is now everybody who got maximum loan to value, these real estate investors who got, and they leveraged the properties up, they're going to have to come cash in to make these loans work at double or two and a half times the interest rate they were originally paying. Right. Because, and what he means by that is the if they were to refinance the current loan that they have into a new loan, the way those loans are underwritten, it needs to cash flow. And if it doesn't cash flow, what the investor has to do is put more money in to bring the loan down so that it can cash flow. One of our early episodes was on uh, everything you need to know about commercial real estate. Uh, I would go back to some of those early episodes in early 2021. You'll find a wonderful hour-long podcast where we break all of that down. I think yeah, the big commercial real estate episode big one the biggest one it's all you it's beefy all right i don't get any love you don't get any love so i've got a lot of questions and we'll go through a little bit of them rapid fire uh, some of them we already answered luckily uh with our q a section here so mm-hmm. all right uh let's kick it off with i'll start at the beginning actually i think it's probably better that way those who ask first get answered first uh will private debt in uh win out over private equity in real estate during this downturn i think they'll both win frankly um so 
I think what you're going to see is you're going to see both private debt and private equity really get opportunities they otherwise wouldn't have because people have a desperation and the banking sector has got a liquidity tightening cycle and a credit tightening cycle happening. They don't want to put out the money they, they once did and they're certainly going to be a little more restrictive. And both private debt, uh, well, private debt more than private equity, are eager to see you default because they get the upside of the value of the property when you default and they take it back from you. I feel like a lot of people don't understand how private debt and private equity companies work. Well, it's exactly what it sounds like, right? It's private money and they're lending it to you. Now, one has an equity stake ownership and one of them is gives, giving you hard money loans and it's restrictive. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, think of it this way. Real simply put, private people making loans when institutional investors typically wouldn't. It can be aggregated together for a fund and be like an, uh, a private equity if you want. But it's effectively people who are privately choosing to take on more risk, inherently riskier loans yes. because of the potential upside to them. And yeah. that's what happens when you default or you pay their high interest rates and fees. And they expect to be compensated for that high risk. They do. And they will. Yeah. And if you default, guess what? They want that to happen because they can take the property back and do it. Give they me. Do. Yeah. It's mine. Um, next question. Everyone knows a recession is coming. It's here whether the Fed admits it or not. While... Real estate took an obvious hit and was an easy way to set yourself up. Something tells me, wow, that's a long question. It won't be so simple this time around. Do you think it'll have the same massive impact on other asset classes for future investment opportunities the way real estate boomed since then? Wow. Oh, I got it. So they asked four times. All right. Because I thought it was four questions. It's only one. The answer is nobody really knows. I, I think we've been in a recession since January 1 of 2022. So effectively January last year. That's the... Beginning of the two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth uh, that Said and I have talked about profusely over the show. Uh, and I'll tell you that nobody really knows. I do think real estate's overvalued. I do think there's uh, commercial trouble ahead, and I do think it'll affect the banks. Uh, I, I would be lying to you if I said I know how that all plays out. Do I think they'll be buying opportunities? 1,000% I do, but I don't think you're going to start seeing those until 2024. Right. Q3, Q3, Q4, 2024. Look, something scares me. I get they're not supposed to be tied and related, but if the S&P 500 is up 13% year to date mm -hmm. during this, you know, cycle that we're going through and they've expressed very clear, we're going to hold for longer. There's going to be more pain to come. Right. We've mentioned on the show, you know, the pain is in the hold for the consumer. Right. Right. Businesses will 1000% be less profitable in the future. Than they are. Yeah, but see, so this is part of the Fed's frustration, right? So, yet you have just now, just after all this time, just now the tenure is starting to rise. The tenure treasury is rising is pessimism in the markets. Right. If you have pessimism in the markets, particularly after this last Fed holding, so the Fed decided to hold, now pessimism increases, now after all these interest rate increases, now the pessimism increases, pushing the tenure up. Right. And yet, at the same time, the S&P is up 13% on the year? Year to date. The, yep. These are conflicting messages. Yep. So if you're a bond trader, you're going like, what the fuck's going on over here? Yeah. Makes no sense. Why, why, why is this now bumping up? Right. And this is the part that, that I think is, is probably the most lost on people. If you're somebody who's at home and saying, Chris, I don't understand the bond market. I don't understand the S&P. I'm, I'm trying to figure out when real estate doesn't make – none of this makes sense, Chris. What the hell's going on? We listen to your show. You're supposed to make it really easy. What the fuck? I'll make it really easy. Behavioral economics now, the way people choose to do things on an emotional status, not on a purely investment-driven decision – is more out of control because communication is so quick to get from one person to another person and so visible. So many outlets of sources. There's podcasts, news, social media. And you know the problem? People are constantly searching for confirmation bias. And 
these people get together, they get in discords, they get in Reddit forums, they get on social media, they like start trading with one another. Meme stocks. Meme stocks happen. AMC happens. All these things. GameStop happens. And look, this is played out on a scale like we've never experienced before. After an unprecedented 14 years, no one can tell you. No one can look you in the eye and tell you this is how this plays out. And if you think that the markets are behaving rationally, they are not. And I know that we all think it's going to be a rational market because it should all be rational and logical. Let me tell you right now, very, very few people can make logical decisions when money gets involved. Because money has a way of pivoting perceptions. Yeah. People want more. Greed is powerful. Right. So don't expect rational behavior. If you see things happening, like the 10-year treasury going up, read it for what it is. There is pessimism in the, mar pessimism in the market now that there wasn't before. Yes, exactly. That's it. Yep. Simple as that. Simple. You did good. Thank you. Good job. Did I cover my face the whole time? Uh, a couple of times. Okay, well, I'm trying. All right, so uh, do you think prices of homes will rise little by little, or will they remain stagnant? Mm. Question. Let's say, I hope they remain stagnant. All right, for the sake of people out there, we actually know a lot of people, I have some listeners um, that reach out to me all the time, and for their sake, I hope it remains stagnant, and I hope it actually comes down, you know? Um, but it's an unprecedented time, man. In order for it to come down, there's inventory needs to come on the market. I think there was um, a report that came out that housing starts are at its lowest level since 2020. It just came out this week, yeah. I mean, that was one avenue. Granted, small, right? But housing starts, they need that. More units to come online. If we're going to stay here for longer... I, I don't know where this goes for, for people. Regionally, places like Seattle, San Francisco, I think those places are going to continue to come down, right? Because they're way too high. Austin, way too high. But like the Midwest, where you, uh, your sister lives in Oklahoma, mm -hmm. she says that she, they're still seeing booms. Oh, yeah. She's she's crushing it, man. The the, the Black Crown uh, real estate franchise out there, they're, they're, they're doing really well, man. What do you think? Um, I think at some point, you're going to get such a slow transactional volume on the markets if something breaks and causes extra stress, there's another data point that comes in that we can't foresee the unpredictable stuff that we talked about on the previous show. Again, this, this is all off. But if, if we were just kept going in this path, homes are so unaffordable that there just isn't going to be people that are that are buying. It's going to be more than just affordability. Unfortunately, it's going to have to drive the values down. That That's where I don't know the answer. But I'll tell you right now, we either wind up with America with, Virtually no middle class in 20 years from now. And that's how long the ramifications of this may last. Or something breaks, values come down. I make fun of a lot of people on social media for their bad predictions, and everybody wins. There you go. There you go. The I problem, truly think that's going to happen, by the way. The problem with these data points, I think uh, PCE is coming out next week yeah, or in a week or so. Um, and that's the Fed's preferred measure for inflation. Personal consumption expenditures, right? Yes. Yeah. Core BCE, so that's coming out. Jobs report is going to be coming out, uh, start of next month, early mm -hmm. in October, and that's something that they really like to focus on. So we'll see. We've talked about the jobs report on the show before. The problem with the jobs report that I looked into earlier this week, they need a hundred thousand jobs added every month just to maintain with population growth. All right, we got a shit ton of questions. We're gonna go rapid fire the rest of the show. All right, go for it. All right. Y'all should do a more deep dive into your personal professional past. Give me the resume. Hi, let's go. 
What do you mean? Uh, that that's quick. Yeah. Uh, let's see, I went to University of California Irvine, got a bachelor's degree in political science. I thought I was going to go to law school. Went to law school for a year, dropped out of law school, entered into the banking sector, worked my way up from a compliance analyst up to credit analyst into underwriting, and then we started a podcast. Yeah. Uh, biological sciences major. <laughs> I wish I would have had an accounting degree. Uh, went to law school, hated law, didn't want to practice law. Was in banking and lending the entire time. Started the bank in October of 2007. We opened our door, no, September. No, started in September. We opened the doors in October. Been there ever since in varying degrees of roles. Most uh, lengthy as the chief credit officer, now the chief operating officer of the bank. Uh, passed the bar, got an MBA. Uh, did a program at Yale, uh, executive program at Yale, which included a master's in advanced management <coughs> that I was eyeing for a long time, which would have, which makes me a ma'am. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, so yeah, that's kind of been my broad background. I started a lot of companies along the way, bought a lot of real estate and here I am. Uh, we can do a deeper dive on that at some other time though. Mm -hmm. Uh, thoughts on auto loan delinquency rates going up. Will defaults shake, uh, shake up the banks? Uh, yes, defaults will go up. I expect there to be a pretty palpable increase uh, reported later, starting in October. Um, and certainly by November, December, you're going to see some pretty interesting increases. But those won't be reported until Q1 of 2024, however. And the scary part about that is those that's one of those loans where when people start to be delinquent and default is really alarming because people need their cars mm -hmm. to get to work or to get to where they need to be. That's usually one like like your home, that people generally do not default or delinquent on. All right. What are y'all market predictions, bets for the next six months, 12 months, and two years? Okay, so six months, I think you got uh, a pretty long period of an earnings recessionary economy. You've got visible impacts, possibly re rolling recession-like trends. 12 months, you start to see some uh, Fed funds cuts. The banks will become... A little bit more prosperous, but still have some challenges because they're going to want to keep interest rates high to recoup some of the earnings. And as a result, uh, you'll have some strain in the markets for about the next, you know, call it year after that. So I think it'll take about two years before you really see home values come down. Yeah, I agree. Right. Where to invest uh, or how much longer are you holding cash and the moves away for the shift? Oh, I'm going to the, the good thing that because what I want to get into next uh, outside of the podcast is real estate right mm. so for me that's one of those things that doesn't happen very quickly so there's we routinely say on the show that you know assess the situation look at it every you know month every three months or so and then you can you can gauge whether you want to dive in or dive out yeah i agree and uh, it really depends on where you live and what your rent is if you're renting looking to buy a home or if you're looking to invest does it cash flow positive that that's always the question does it cash flow positive based on what you're gonna put down yep Next one, why is Arun so awesome? Arun? Been oddly quiet. Yes, I've been doing a great job answering the questions. You don't want to answer any of these questions? I've been trying, by the way, for the listeners, I've been trying to get Odun in my seat because I'm clearly battling uh, SARS or something. So, but he didn't want to step in. I don't know what's going uh, on. I didn't have a black hat to wear. It's mm, true. Huh? He's not wearing a black hat. At what point do investment companies sell uh, rentals and buy T-bills? Hmm. At the point where they can no longer rent them and be cash flow positive, which given the way rental rates are tracking in some markets, that might be sooner rather than later. But I don't know that, um, I don't know what's going to happen, frankly. It really depends on, there's few companies that really want to like the vacation rental Airbnb space and other traditional single family residential rentals that the people were buying in the Midwest or 
doing fairly well. So Airbnb, though, if even if all those units came online, that would just be one percent of the market. At what point are the feds forced to stop lying about job numbers? <laughs> They're never going to stop. We got an election in November of uh, next year, so 2024. Uh, so because of that, uh, you're going to see lies all the way through the election. Uh, why so many dick jokes? What was the impetus for that? Listen, we're not getting paid. Yeah, we got to keep this fun. I've got little man syndrome. Right. Yeah. yeah. Try tips. Try tips. Why like that? Try tips. Touch it. Touch it. Touch it. Uh, tip me. Come on. Come on. Touch it. Ah, oh, that's so good. Uh, can you explain more about the 10 year treasury yield? What does that mean? I think we got that on the earlier question. Assumable mortgage, assumable mortgages, and if getting the remaining balance in a second loan is common. I saw this. It's a good question. Uh, well, because I don't think people realize that, you know, given the current state of the economy, banks, <coughs> don't fight it. You know, <laughs> not all banks are going to be so welcoming to take on an assumption. Yeah, banks don't want you to assume a loan because keep in mind that they made the loan in the last, call it, I don't know, five years. Your loans are going to be under market. Uh, rates and they don't want to let you assume them. So generally speaking, I am not a fan of anybody who sells courses on this or teaches people to do this. And generally speaking, single family residence loans are non-assumable loans. Only commercial real estate loans are assumable. And that's usually with a 1% down payment. And then it's then subject to the then in place underwriting standards of the bank, which will be uncharacteristically high going into this particular landscape. So 1% fee, I think you said 1% down payment. 1% fee. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, and then of course you have to come in with the money to make your same down payment and assume the loan. So if somebody gets a loan and they pay down the principal and interest, taxes and insurance over time, and now that loan is less, there you can only get the current balance of the loan as your loan on the property, which means you have to come and cash in for the rest of it. So that's a lot of cash to put down. So a lot of challenges here. Uh, getting, getting the remaining balance in a second loan is common. No, it's not because here's why. Uh, generally speaking, single family residents, traditional first trustee mortgages on homes are non-assumable. They won't allow you to assume them. Commercial real estate is assumable. However, a technical event of default is a second trust deed on commercial real estate. And despite what many real estate agents and lenders will tell you, oh, the bank won't call you a material default if you, if you do these things like transfer title. A lot of guys on social media say that it's a technical event of default. They will call you out in commercial real estate because many of those loans are securitized, sold onto the secondary market, and it has significant impacts for the risk profile of the loan, and they're sold off to a special servicer who is very anal retentive. Don't worry about the nuance of what I just said. Just know Can't do it's it. not going to happen. Yeah. Basically, all that means when you, when you get a loan, a technical event of default, there's a bunch of shit that you can't do when you get a loan with them. And one of those things is you can't get a second loan behind your first one. And you have promised that in, contracts, in your contract of your loan documents in writing. What would the U.S. economy look like if the interest rates rose to 6%? Uh, they're at 8 right now. Looks like Wait, this. What was the question? What would the U.S. economy look like if, oh, interest rates rose to 6 Fed, funds, Fed rate. funds rate. Yeah. Um, a lot of banks would go down. Yeah, 25% of the banks would go down. You're looking at uh, a massive amount of M&A activity, merger and acquisition activity, consolidating banks coming together to form a bigger bank. That would, in theory, solve the problem. But here's the problem with all of that. Every single person, including the Fed, who issued bonds in the last 14 years, and again, we talked about in the earlier part of the show, bonds are debt instruments. Those bonds are now underwater, right? Because any bond you issued a couple of years ago at 3 or 4 or 5% is now paying more in today's market. 
So the value of that bond, if you were to sell it through that intermediary, because you're not going to sell it directly because it's already been issued, right? You're going to go through a broker. The value of that bond is less than the face value. Let's say you bought a bond for $100,000 that paid 3% four years ago, right? Well, if I can go out to a market and get a new issuance of a bond, a new debt instrument from somebody else at 7%, that means yours is underwater by the difference of the two right. interest rates they pay. So I'm going to pay you less than $1 for every dollar of that debt note because it's not worth as much to me. So that's the problem is every single person who has any kind of debt, whether you're a bank or you're a you know, bondholder, it's all underwater relative to the market rates. Now, if you hold it all the way to maturity, what do you care? You got a bond. Let's say you had $100,000, it paid you 3%, you got your 3% return on your bond, you're fine. But the problem- but if, if you have to liquidate that for any reason- Because you, you know, you're short on liquidity or capital. You now have something that's worth less than you paid for it. And what it signals to the market that you're in trouble. Yes, it's bad, bad sign. So it would be catastrophic, I think, if we got to 6%. I think the Fed's well aware of that, despite what they say. This one comes from Arun's wife. Hey, Mersal, what's up? IUL or 529 pros and cons, one of which is an insured life insurance policy, the IUL. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other one is a 529. It is a tax uh, deferred college fund. No, no cat, tax free college fund. You can invest into your kids' college funds with 529 plans so long as you use the funds towards uh, college. It's essentially tax free. Uh, both these suck. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not a fan of either one. Dave, believe it or not, Dave Ramsey and I, of all people, agree on the IUL. Absolute shit. There's a difference between the defined benefit and the cash surrender value to you, especially when you only get the cash value upon death and it's not as high as what they think make you think it is because you're reinvesting your dividends back into the policy. So you're taking your money and buying more of it. In the 529, they have to use it for school. Don't like either one. Penalty Here's, if you don't. Penalty if you don't. Taxes. Here's what I say you do, okay? The average return in a mutual fund or a low-cost index fund over time is way better. Don't get a mutual fund, though. Too many fees. Too many fees, typically, but the average return historically is still better than you would probably get in, in either one of these, and you've got more flexibility for what to do with it. So 10% if you invest in the S&P 500. 10%, 10, 11%, 10-ish, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, much better over time. So, you know my honest opinion? These both suck, despite the fact that people sell them. Here's what you do. You go get yourself a Fidelity account, E-Trade account, whatever it is you want to trade in. You religiously and consistently put in money every single month for your, your child. Mm-hmm. And you buy low-cost index funds or mutual fund, whatever the hell you want to do, mm -hmm. okay? And you let that money play out over time. In 18, 20 years, they can do whatever they want with And it. if you have extra money that you can invest in and you want to also play for yourself, you can get a Roth IRA. There's a lot of estate planning benefits for your family through that, too. Yep. Five more questions. Ready? Let's go. All right. What do you think about the music being made these days? Um, like the mumble rap? Yeah, it's fucking terrible. Can't handle I'm it. not even going to sugarcoat it. I don't even know most of these artists anymore because I'm so fucking frustrated because I'll like listen. Little something, little this. I used to be able to go to, and I'm not, I'm not being like the geriatric dude who's not open to new shit. I'm open to lots. I look, even Little Pump to me was better than some of these rappers. Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang. Yeah, yeah. Dope, man. Super catchy. Yeah. Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang, Gucci <laughs> yeah. Gang. Yes. You ain't got a tattoo removed on his face? No. Yeah. It's been painful. He's yeah. not like the Island Boys? No, he got clean. Yeah, Damn. he got clean. Yeah, I don't know. Nowadays, it's like there are a lot of like uh, one hit wonders now. A lot of one hit wonders. A lot of people doing stuff for clout. That's extremism. I miss like songs, like legit songs. Like we got a chorus, we got a hook, we're we got a melody. We're, we're trying to do things. I like the I I I used to fanboy out on the lyrics. Yeah, more so than the beat. That's why I think Drake still gets the love that he that he gets because he's still singing. Yes, 
He's still he's still putting out lyrics. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's why I think something like the weekend, huge, right? Yeah. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a, a big naysayer. Hold on to your panties, everybody, okay? You like Taylor Swift. Nope. I think Taylor Swift is overrated. Yep, me too. Yep, sorry. Sorry, I'm not I sorry. I'm a, I'm a, I'm offensive. My wife's gonna be real upset. Beyonce, overrated. Not a fan. Not a fan. Yeah. Oh, be careful. Beehive coming after us. I know. Now. I know. I look, I get that she's all girl power and I respect all I respect things. it. Yeah, me too. But I don't listen to music and go like, oh, dope. I can't name a Beyonce song I really like. I mean, there are more Taylor Swift songs I like than Beyonce songs. No, no, I like Beyonce more. That's okay, that, that's crazy. Just saying, not a fan. Has the Ultra Drake has the I almost choked on it. Has <laughs> the Ultra Drake of Fed interest rate hikes come to a halt? Ultra Drake of Fed interest rate hikes. What's that? I don't get it. Man, you don't even listen to your own show. Yeah. Sorry, Vic. I tried to help you out, bro, but he don't listen to his own show. We'll we'll skip that one. Number of real estate agents from 2022 predicted to 2024. What up, Saeed? Oh, what's up? Who is this? What up, Saeed? What, what? Send it out to me. Bishop Realty. Huh? Bishop. Oh, uh, Bishop Realty. I love this guy. Yeah. He's got he's got better kicks than you. He does. He's got good shit. He's got good shit. Good shit game. Um, I think you're going to wind up seeing another 50,000 dissipate, disappear into the wind, just completely vanish. Well, a lot of people who have their licenses are usually pretty inactive. I think 60,000 this year have already gone. Yeah, and I mean, people don't realize that it's it's time in the game, right? It takes a long time. Well, yeah, but the problem is if you came up in the last, like, five years, it was a lot easier than it's going to be right now. Right. And they haven't experienced tough times. So there's going to be a lot of attrition. Which is good for the ones that, that can, uh, you know, weather the storm. The unusual whale post uh, a few slides away. How does that happen? What is the path? Or are we headed to Hunger Games scenario? Okay, so that's the unusual whales post that that I made the other day, which uh, Adam read on MindPup. Let me put it on the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It would take some combination of up to 28% decline in home prices, a more than 4% reduction in 30-year mortgage rates, or up to 60% growth in median household incomes to bring home affordability back to its 25-year average per black night. How does this happen? Well, uh, I'll tell you that right now, there seems to be no apparent front runner for a single unilateral catalyst which is as i've referenced on the previous show a death by a thousand cuts because all these indicators that are just blaring red the alarms are spinning around right now that everybody's going nah it's not a big deal real estate values are gonna go up man they're gonna go up man they're all flashing and they're all really really at their at their at their edge um i would look at things like the nasdaq the qqq i would look at the treasuries i would look at the inverted yield curve i would look at all the things we've cited so many times in the show and say look Something's got to give. Mm-hmm. It, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. <coughs> now, we can't predict the future. We can't tell you what it's, what's going to be. I, I, look, we're not housing bulls or housing bears. We're not any of these things. Uh, we're not a Goldilocks scenario, for right. that matter. Right. But none of the indicators that we've been looking at consistently, like the Fed has theirs, uh, core inflation, PCE. Which is, I mean, suspect. You know, questionable. They look at jobs. Bureau of Labor Statistics been revised down three times every single month. We have ours, and we look at things like the, the inverted yield curve. We look at home price affordability. Affordability has long been one of our tent poles of, of is this economy challenged. Delinquencies and, and all that, yeah. Yeah, the, all the rest of the numbers that, that are out there. So the, the short answer for the much longer version of the story is this. Something has got to give, and if it doesn't, it'll be a very painful, very long ride, which I think the Fed is very, very aware of. Because they're going so far as to say we're going to hold rates for longer than expected. That's true. Odin, you got anything? Nope. No questions on my end. 
All right. Well. No, 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 no. He's not going to have to hook that easy. No, it's nah, 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 nah. No, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> nah. Arun. Are you there? Why are you doing this, bro? He's editing this show. No, I know. I just, I just want to have a conversation with him. Okay. I just want to. I want to. I want to feel him out. Okay. Well, you can do that over here. Oh. You, oh. Don't oh, forget you married, bro. <laughs> Try tips. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Look, you said before uh, the show started that you felt that good shows that we do, you leave with a, a sense of understanding. And bad shows that we do, you leave going, what in the fuck did they just talk about? Yeah. By your own litmus test of good show or bad show, what what, what was this one? Honestly. Out of, a, out of a 10, I would give it, God, just being 100% honest, mm -hmm. I'd probably give it a 6 or a 7. You guys started out real slow. You guys answered two questions in 30 minutes. Mm. That's, that's painfully honest. So, so we should have been more rapid fire? I felt like rapid we did, fire. We did go guys, a little deep. You guys I, went real deep. In, in our defense, the, the first one, the 10-year treasury one, is really yep. to answer like four questions, but they were kind of lumped into one. Yeah. But we did go a little long. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully. So the problem with that is, you know, other people are waiting for their answers to get, or their questions to get answered, and just like, shit, how long do I have It's called engagement, my friend. I also feel like it builds the suspense up. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I guess, right. maybe. And I also had an ulterior motive. Those of you who listen to the very end of the show, you get to hear, hear a little bit of the strategic planning that we do. We're going to cut this show up into two, at least two clips, which will be a five or ten minute segment. Hopefully. We want to use at least part of that 10-year treasury bond market conversation as one of the clips. Yep. So the two longer answers will probably be clips as opposed to uh, just a short reel. And then we can use this to help educate. Yeah, exactly. You can share with your friends and family. I apologize for all the coughing, ladies and gentlemen, over the last couple episodes. It's been like five, dude. Honest, and I just want to say I'm sorry. I know it's annoying. Hopefully, when we come back, it'll be gone. Thank you for sticking with us. If you haven't yet, leave us a review on Apple or on Spotify. Make sure it's an honest five-star review. Or go head over to YouTube. Smash that like button. Subscribe. Notification bell. All the sexy good stuff. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm just waiting for you to cough again. Nope. All good, baby. I was that, lying the whole time. That's convenient. Yeah. You know, the coughing that you do doesn't bother me. It's the sounding like you're dying in the middle before you actually cough that bothers me. It's the resist. You're like, I know. That, that, that I'm guy, fighting that it for me. the listeners. You're what? I was, I'm fighting it for the listeners. I'm trying to hold it in. But it sounds painful. It sounds like, you know, you're struggling to breathe. Well, it's because I'm holding in a cough. Actually, Rune and I were talking. Oh, boy. We think we should talk about um, what you ate just before the show started. What? What did you eat? I got a sandwich that Arun ordered me. And you didn't look at the menu and hand him his phone back? Come on. I did, yeah. I got and a chicken sandwich. You said it was the best sandwich you ever had. That's not what I said. And when I opened it up, there was a lot of cream, a lot of mayo. Cash? Rules everything around me. Mm-hmm. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. All right. Good night, everybody. No, 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 no. Come on, no. dude. How much mayo did you have? None. You didn't even have that sandwich? I had half the sand half a sandwich, dude. Are you really doing this right now? I'm doing this right now. Wow. What'd you eat before the show? I had chicken and rice with a tabbouleh salad. And bread. All the bread, actually. I had one quarter of Don't make it seem like it was a small I piece had, of bread. It was a small piece of bread. It was yeah, one yeah. quarter of a pita bread. Mm -hmm. A thick pita bread, too. Probably the thickest pita bread I've ever seen. 
You would have been much better if you said how many pretzels did you eat before the show. Oh, yeah. There you go. That too. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to insult me, insult me better than me, okay? Okay. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. That's not even your thing. That's not even your thing. Okay, go ahead. Say it. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Bye. <laughs>